Welcome to the Stories Told Podcast. This is episode 33, A Friendship That Stands the Test of Time. This is the Stories Told Podcast. Two authors talking about stories in movies, TV, and of course, books. I'm Michael Grayford. I write action-adventure stories in fantasy and sci-fi worlds sometimes for younger readers and sometimes for adults. And I try to always inject at least a little bit of humor. And I am author E.W. Barnes, and I write action-adventure time travel novels and space opera science fiction. Thousands of years, thousands of worlds. But be forewarned, beyond here, there will be spoilers. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's begin. And welcome back to the Stories Told podcast. I'm author E.W. Barnes, and with me is author Michael Grayford. And today we're going to talk about the story told in the 1985 movie, Enemy Mine. How are you doing today, Mike? I am doing fantabulous. How are you? Fantabulous. I like that. <laughs> I am doing well. Thank you very much. And what's new in your writing world? Oh, the writing world. I'm still focused on getting the first Zara book out, The Golden Scarab of Balihar. I've been finishing up the paper book formatting. Uh, I got the ISBN and the barcode. And I ordered a proof print of the paperback. I've set up and activated the pre-orders for Zara 1 and Zara 2. So I can link to the pre-order of Zara 2 at the back of Zara 1, which gives me a a time limit to finish Zara 2. <laughs> uh, I submitted to the Copyright Office. And let's see, other than that, I've just been doing Vela promotions on Facebook still. Yeah, I think that's about it. What are you up to? I have another audiobook chapter that I've uploaded this week, and I have been working on Ecliptic. Uh, Fulgar, one of my characters, this is Ecliptic is really his book. I have this group of, you know, sort of pseudo-military science fiction kind of folks, and they're a collaborative group, they're a team, and so each book kind of focuses a little bit on each different member of the group. So the first book in the series focuses on a, a character named Zadok, and this book is focusing on Fulgar, a character named Fulgar, and Fulgar is in prison having been captured after an act of terrorism while behind enemy lines in this Cold War kind of environment. And he didn't commit the act of terrorism, but the government is pinning him with it. And so now he's in prison, a terrible prison, that I just had to write an act of violence and barbarity yesterday because I needed to show that the prison was violent and barbaric. And it's not usually where I go in my stories. <laughs> so I had to like think about, okay, how do I want to do this? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So yeah, he got to see the, the barbarity in the prison and he has learned that the defense that he thought would be, you know, his way of getting out of the clutches of the enemy is not going to work. And now he's been communicated with secretly by a 
a subversive group within this government offering to rescue him. So he has to decide whether he wants to do that or whether it's a trap. Because everything he does has political overtones because of the nature of the disagreement between their two governments. So sound, That sounds really cool. Thanks. And have you encountered anything interesting in books or movies or television lately? Just started watching the first three episodes of Strange New Worlds. So I'm catching up on uh, what you've watched. <laughs> you think? I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's such good Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I'm really liking it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of that, uh, rest of this season. Um, and other than that, I think that, that's been it. Other than that, I've just been focused on Aura stuff. What about you? Are you still working your way through Sanderson's mega epic? I am. Uh, and watching episodes of Ahsoka as they come out. And I've also started reading Don't Date the Haunted, which is the novel by author C. Ray Dark. That, and we're going to be interviewing her here coming soon. And so I wanted to prepare for our interview by reading this book. And I've actually really been enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. So that's been, those are the three things that I've really been doing that are sort of consuming stories instead of creating stories. Yeah, I, I started reading it as well. Yeah, it's a sort of a quirky, clever idea. I'm enjoying it. It really is. So I, I'm very interested when we talk to her, uh, but just kind of getting her, her vision of how she came up with this, because it really is very clever. So are you ready to get into the Wayback Machine and talk about the story told in Enemy Mine? Yes, it is the Wayback Machine at this point, isn't it? Yes, it is. Let's do it. And today we're talking about the story told in the 1985 movie Enemy Mine. And I am going to read the synopsis uh, from the Google Knowledge Panel for this movie. During a war between humans and the reptilian Drac race, spaceship pilot Willis Davidge ends up stranded on an alien world, along with enemy fighter Jeriba Shagon. While both Willis and his Drac counterpart can breathe on the planet, the environment and its creatures are relatively hostile forcing the two to work together to survive. As time goes by, Willis and Jeriba become unlikely friends, though their unique relationship faces considerable challenges. So did you like this movie, Mike? I didn't see this when it came out in the theaters. I saw it for the first time, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago, because it was recommended on some list of you know, good sci-fi movies to watch. So I watched it then and I enjoyed it. And then when I rewatched it for discussing it on this podcast, I realized I didn't remember most of what was <laughs> in the movie. So it was good. It was like seeing it for the first time again. And yeah, I still enjoyed it. I think it has a, uh, a lot of good things going for it. I like the, the setup where you have the two warring factions and people on opposite sides having to, you know, struggle and work together. It's a, sort of a classic story, but I think it works well in this sci-fi context. And this this is clearly a character progression story, right? M more so than a science fiction kind of idea story. 
Uh, it's about, at least from my perspective, it's about uh, Dennis Quaid's character, Davidge. He transforming, right? He starts off as kind of a jerk, um, very hostile to the enemies, you know, as you would kind of expect. But then over the course of the story, he grows. And because they're forced to work together, they develop a respect for each other and then a friendship. I liked how they shared the lineages. I thought that was a great touch. But then he comes to learn to, you know, not only to respect the other species, but to care about them. And in, in particular, the offspring of his friend. And yeah, it's a, it's a simple story, but it's engaging. I was interested the whole way through. And yeah, I liked it. What about you? What are, we, what are your high-level thoughts? You know, I don't remember if I saw this in the theater. I probably did because I was always hungry for science fiction. <laughs> if not in the theater, then soon after, whenever it came available. This, and this came out in the time of when, uh, you know, VHS videos started to become available to rent, Blockbuster, that kind of stuff. So if I didn't see it in the theater, I saw, probably saw it soon afterwards as a rental from Blockbuster or wherever my local VHS video store was. And I remember enjoying it then, and I enjoyed it again. Now, I know you have refrained from saying something, because I, know, I, I think I know you well enough to guess what you would say regarding this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because it was relevant to my sort of 30,000-foot level evaluation. The production values are terrible. And they were terrible for the time, and they look even worse now. But because the story of these two characters is so engaging and compelling and so well done, it's completely ignorable. You, you can just totally ignore, you know, how terrible the spaceships look because the, the, the interaction and the friendship that develops between these two characters is so good. This is just a really good story and really well done story. That was sort of my overarching feel. If we're ready to get down into the little bit more of the granular stuff, we can talk about that if you want. Let me just make a comment on what you said about production values. Uh, yeah, this <laughs> it's, it definitely has that cheesy sort of 80s sci-fi feel, right? And like the last Starfighter, you know, visuals quality-wise, it doesn't hold up. And like you said, even for the time, you know, you can't compare it to something like Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which came out around the same time period. Yeah. It's not, it's not even remotely in the same category, but the movie was crazy expensive. It was it cost them forty million dollars to make this movie. What did they spend it on? I think part of it was they had uh, an aborted first effort. They they started filming. I don't know how much they filmed, but they weren't getting what they want. They canned it. I guess they changed directors to. I'm assuming Wolfgang Peterson. He was the one credited on the movie at the end. So probably a lot was just in waste. Uh, they they traveled to different locations. They filmed like in Iceland and Budapest and other different places. So probably a lot went down to that. Probably special effects and sets that were trashed, <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, it, it served its purpose, I guess. You know, like you said, for the, for the story. I think, luckily, this is more of a, a character, you know, take a character development story. So you can look past some of that stuff, I think, and 
you know, especially in some of these older movies. Whereas, you know, you know, if you compare to two of the movies we talked about recently, the Avatar movies, it's <laughs> it's not in the same league. And and that's going to get to something I want to mention later. But go ahead, yeah, let's let's talk about the the details and things that you think might be improved. One of the things that I was going to uh, sort of corroborate your analysis is that this is also after Lewis Gossett Jr. received his Academy Award. So he might have been expensive, too. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And he did a great job in this movie. He did. He was brilliant in this movie. But he had won Best Supporting Actor for An Officer and a Gentleman uh, two uh, years before this movie came out. So I'm assuming that there was some, you know, amount of money that they wanted to spend on to, on getting a, a, an actor of his, his caliber. And Dennis Quaid is very good as well. So, you know, both of them, I think probably there was some expense paid for those. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because Dennis Quaid was kind of a, you know, big around that time. Yeah. With, uh, I don't remember what order these came, but he, does, he was in Inner Space and Dreamscape and a couple other movies that were really big at the time. So, yeah, that could be too. A couple of things that I really enjoyed on a more granular level is I really enjoyed how they presented the challenge of two species trying to function together, language and culture and values and biology. I mean, I think they did a really nice job of making the drac culture relatable, which is really important if you're going to have a story about a friendship developing between these characters. There's got to be relatable elements that we as viewers or readers etc can point to or at least feel and say okay we understand where the friendship is developing and yet still make it the species different enough that the conflict is also relatable so i think they did a really good job with that you know having davich learn the language and dariba learn english i thought that was really great the difference in culture but yet the cultures were had some similarities that we could connect to and the values were very connectable i mean once they you know peeled back the layers of conflict there were very similar values and then of course the biology element is really important because we have the drag species being a species that can create their own offspring without requiring sexual reproduction. And so as the movie progresses, we lose the Lewis Gossett Jr. character and gain their child, its child, Zamis. And so then we have an entirely new focus in that story. And I think that really helped the story as well, because as you pointed out, this was a, this was a personal growth story of a character. Davich's personal growth story. And you're absolutely right. He was a jerk at the beginning. He was directly responsible for the death of his co-pilot because he was also focused on destroying the drag. And he was hostile and unpleasant, and there was really no redeeming qualities about him until he kind of figured out how to function in this environment and realized that he needed the help of the drag to survive. And I have to say, I did feel like his bad behavior disappeared pretty quickly, all things considered, but it still worked because you find yourself wanting these guys to work together and figure out how to survive. And so the fact that his sort of jerkiness disappeared quickly, I, I didn't think was a problem. So it went from this almost an, I don't know, would you call this an anti-hero story? I'm not sure about anti-hero story. I don't know. Enough. Yeah. It's not that's not my type of story. Right. I think it's more of a 
No, yeah, I don't know. He kind of starts off that way. Then it doesn't, he doesn't end up that way, so I'm not sure what that is. Let's just call it the character growth story. I would have to think more about it, wh- whether it was an anti-hero story. Because he doesn't stay an anti-hero. And usually when you have your anti-hero, they stay an anti-hero. They do whatever their heroic action is to move the story forward and to get a, a satisfying ending. But they usually don't change. And he really did change. So we'll call that character growth. But then he also had to do sort of like the new parent story after Zomis was born, which I thought was also really good. And I also really like the fact that the story moves very quickly. They could have spent a lot of time just sort of wallowing in. We don't get along and we have to we're forced to get along. And they move the story along quickly, even with this shift in the middle where we lose a main character and get a new character. And I actually really enjoyed that, too. I thought that kept it very engaging. I agree. Yeah, they paced it very well. When it started, like I said, I didn't remember much about it. So maybe I saw it longer ago than I thought. (laughs) But when they're going along with this character, I'm like, how are they going to stretch this movie out? These two guys just on this planet. When the Drac character becomes pregnant, it's like, oh, that's right. There's this other character. And then he dies. It's like, oh, right. The whole whole story kind of shifts at this point. Forgotten that. But yeah, it keeps it interesting because otherwise... What's it, they're just going to survive on there? That would, get, that would get boring pretty quick. Yeah. I thought they did that well. Um, yeah, and also I think, like you said, you had a very good insight where the Drac were different, but not too different. I think, you know, this goes probably somewhat to writing, somewhat to directing, and certainly the acting. The character's speech was really different at the beginning and very cool, I thought. He played that really well because a lot of times you don't get that. The character just speak English or some other language, and he had like some guttural vocalizations and some, you know, trilling and things like this. Uh, and I thought he played that really well. But then they didn't, you know, they didn't force you to listen to that the whole movie. They kind of transitioned to where, like, okay, they learned each other's language a little bit more, and they transitioned that I thought really well, also. And I like that. I like, like you said, that the Drac could create their own offspring. That was a very clever idea, and. To have a child introduced in the story wouldn't have made much sense otherwise. You know, you're going to have like a female in there and a male, and it's like that. It's like it completely changes the dynamic. So this way worked. They kept it simple. It worked. It was different. You know, you throw some more sci-fi element in there, but again, it's not the focus of the story. It's just something to help push our character into growing. So I thought they did that well. As for what could be improved, what do you think they could improve? I actually picked up three things that I thought, and all three of these things were really writing-related, I think. So the support characters that we got to see were all very two-dimensional. The only depth we saw in the characters were Davich and Jariba and Zamis. And that was pretty much it. Everybody else was very two-dimensional, there to push the plot forward and, and nothing more. They could have been... You could exchange them with anybody else, and it wouldn't have mattered. It was almost like every time we left the sort of little home situation that Davich and Jariba created, every time we were outside of that, everybody else that was interacted with was just almost like a ghost. Yeah. The other things that I think uh, for me, well, why don't you give me your thoughts on that first before I move into the next ideas I had. Yeah, no, that's one of the notes I've I had. Yeah, I, I I agree with everything you just said. 
I'll present one when, when I get to my notes on this topic. I'll present that in a larger context as well. So, but go ahead, continue. The next thing were just a couple of uh, sort of just informational lapses for the story itself. The first one was he discovers that Zamis has run off to go find his people or watch his people at the mine. Zamis gets captured, and then as he's trying to rescue him, he's shot by one of the miners, presumably dead. And then all of a sudden, he's found by the military. Where were they when they were living in the house for however long they were living in the house? It just didn't make sense to me that they were within walking distance of a child's legs to get to this mine, and they couldn't find them. The military couldn't find them when they lived in... It just didn't make any sense to me. That was the one thing. The other thing was at the end, which was a very satisfying end, except for one thing, we did not find out if what happened with Davich and Jeriba and Zamis and the connection that he made to the Drac, if it impacted the war at all. We start with a description of the war, how they went out into the space and then came, came into contact with the Drac and they, there was conflict. But we don't end with any kind of resolution about that story piece that starts the movie. And I would have liked to have seen that. First of all, let me start off by saying I agree again with everything you just said. For me, looking at a sort of a high level, I feel like the story was both overdone and underdone in some ways. The sci-fi aspects were a bit underdone, I thought. Kind of just hand-waved a number of things. Oh, he can just breathe on this planet. But there's no plants, there's no algae, there's no large bodies of water with cyanobacteria potential. There's like, <laughs> how is he breathing? It looks like a dead world. So, I mean, that struck me right off the bat. I think that's probably more of a modern view. I think I think back then, you know, the audience sort of hand-waved that well, maybe a bit. Like in you know Star Wars movies, like you know they breathe everywhere. It's not a big deal. I think that was just kind of an accepted thing, but it's definitely something I noted. And also, what was the ecosystem in that world like? There's like a few creatures, but like, what are those things like? Are there, were there like little rat creatures? Do the rat creatures eat? There's like there's no plants. Like, what do these things eat? How did they get? They had like they had these clothes that they made. Where did those clothes come from? There didn't seem to be any furry animals or mammal-type things that would create those clothes. So, like, that kind of stuff, I noted. It's not important to the story, really. But I would have liked to have seen more of an ecosystem. There's no reason they couldn't have done it. It wouldn't have taken more time, from the length of the movie, anyway. Um, it obviously would have taken more time in production. And they're probably already massively over budget, <laughs> from what we found out. More world-building would have been helpful. Exactly. And, and this goes back to where I was speaking, uh, where I mentioned Avatar. It's like Avatar is the complete opposite, right? Avatar is like, it's so much world building. And it's like, it really immerses you in the culture and the ecosystem and how everything works and how the animals connect with each other and all that stuff. And it's like, I think because maybe we just watched that, it was so obviously absent and barren on this planet that it really stood out for me. But again, didn't really affect the story a lot. It's just something I noticed. It could have been added with without really changing much. It just it would have made the world feel more realistic. I thought on the overdone aspect, 
the Davidge character, the the way that he was presented at the beginning of the story was a bit over the top. He just seemed like almost filled with bloodlust when he's flying, and it's like he was so angry and just eager to kill this other, this like one particular random enemy <laughs> in a ship. I felt like that could have been handled a little bit more subtly. And also, I think. I think it would have made it more interesting from a writing perspective and from viewing it if we had seen Davidge lose someone personally at the hands of the enemy to give us a sense of why he was so, he seemed so personally mad at them rather than just being like, okay, we got to fight these guys. I think it was kind of that implication because he went after that drag ship after the drag ship destroyed one of his fellow pilots and their ship. And it was a female pilot. But there was no suggestion that there was any depth of connection with her other than the camaraderie of pilothood. Yeah. I think there was, I think they were trying to imply that, but you had to really stretch to get that conclusion. I think, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cause I was thinking about that after I'm like, maybe that's what that was supposed to be, but there was no connection yeah, we didn't, we didn't see anything more than, you know, military companions, if, if it had been played up a bit more. And he, even before that, I think he was like, just like his facial expressions were so over the top when he was shooting them. And I think it was before that even happened, like he was just furious at these enemies. Which I, I get that, right? In a war, it's like, you know, probably he's probably seen people die and had friends die and things like this. But they could have made that more impactful. And made his behavior make more sense rather than yeah. it's like, oh, I'm on this planet. I'm just going to kill this guy. It's like, you're stranded on this planet. <laughs> like, relax, take a beat and see what's going on first. It, again, it was it was fine. I just think they could have smoothed, smoothed that out um, and given us more to go go with him along. Because right now, he just seemed like a jerk intent on killing. Not only just him, the humans seemed like jerks. Like, hey, we yeah. want to ravage these planets too and it's like yeah but there's already other people there you're acting like you own them <laughs> you're acting like everything you encounter is yours automatically sort of like a very colonialist type approach it's like hey these people these other beings have already been there uh, so yeah it's uh, i guess his behavior sort of is in representative of the human behavior it seemed like yeah that's a good thought and i i don't know that it needed that you know just being at war and if they'd made it a little more personal, you've got enough set up there for the story that we get. Yeah, like you said, the other characters are very two-dimensional. I thought the slaver humans were just sort of caricature bad guys. Yeah. And kind of over the top in their performance. Tools for the story, <laughs> really. Um, I actually liked the, I liked the aliens more in this, I think, than the humans throughout seemed more reasonable and respectful kind of hard to root for for the 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 hero like you said almost an anti-hero at times i didn't really root for him actually until until things started to to change also like you said how much time passed like how long were they on this planet (laughs) i didn't get a sense of was it like a month was it a year i didn't know and then like you said it's like they just happened to show up when he was there at that moment when he got shot. Another thing I thought was he shows up, 
with his bow and arrows. Like, why didn't he have the guy's ray gun? <laughs> there was a ray gun there. Did it run out of battery? Something? I don't know. <laughs> and small stuff. And then, same thing as you. I wish at the end, I think it would have been nice if after he tells the, the story of uh, Zamas's lineage and, you know, he gets inserted into the lineage. I thought that was cool. Maybe he could have been a type of ambassador to begin negotiations between the two species. Something. Yeah, something. Yeah. Because otherwise it seems like odd. It's like, hey, we're at war, but like, okay, this human just shows up. Everyone's completely fine with it. He speaks the lineage. He's kind of one of us now. I mean, obviously there were other uh, Drax, you know, on the planet who were slaves who were there and would speak on his behalf and all that. That's fine. You're right. I, I don't know if it was necessary, but I kind of wanted it. I wanted some kind of beginning right, of negotiations. Yeah. Because that's where we started off. Like you said, change, not only change of him, but, you know, show how it affects the world, too. I think that would have been a more powerful ending. Yeah. Um, but, but overall, I, I like the story. Enjoyed it. As a writer, what do you take away from the story told in Enemy Mine? I think for me, probably the biggest thing is remembering to put the protagonist in situations where they're forced to overcome their flaws. I tend to think a lot about events in stories, like things that happen and dialogue. Um, but it's good to remember the reason things assuming you're writing a story where you know it's it's a character progression story right there's there's some stories that aren't you know serial thrillers and mystery stories and things like that you know the character's not going through a massive change every you know every book if there's 40 books but assuming you're writing one where the character is going to grow then put them in situations where they're forced to face their flaws to face their fears to face their lies and push push through that because they do that really well in this story. What about you? What What do you take away from this, from a writing perspective? I agree with your assessment and would also add that if you're going to see a supporting character more than once, I think it's important to give them some dimension, something that makes them stand apart so they can't just be swapped like widgets. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for joining us as we talked about the story told in the 1985 movie, Enemy Mine. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters. We are so grateful for your support and encouragement. The Stories Told podcast is available on multiple podcast platforms, and we thank you for liking and subscribing and following depending on where you're listening. It may not be a big deal to you, but it means a lot to us. You can find Michael Grayford at michaelgrayford.com and E.W. Barnes at a1000years.com. And we'll put those links in the show notes below. Join us next time as we talk about Season 1 of Loki in anticipation of Season 2 premiering in October. Thank you so much, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. And we'll see you next time on the Stories Told Podcast. 